This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a special guest on today, Chris B. Chris, how are you doing? Good man, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I know you've been you've been busy this spring. It looks like turkey hunting. What, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, we've been uh, bebopping around doing some turkey hunting. Um, we did Iowa turkey season. Took a couple days, and we were able to shoot one there. Um, and then I went back home to Michigan and shot a bird there. And we got a couple archery tournaments here and there too. I got one actually this upcoming weekend so i'm zipping out of here at noon <laughs> right oh, after we get done with, done with this call so so yeah we've been we've been busy i have got a ton of questions for you i'm not sure exactly where where i'm just gonna start right at the beginning so we yeah we, i assume you grew up hunting yeah so my uh dad was your you know typical michigan bow hunter guy i guess you'd say okay um and he grew up he was like kind of a first generation bow hunter which is kind of cool um so he very much figured it out um on his own and stuff all all growing up um i think he started hunting right around 19 okay 18 19 um and then yeah you know obviously he wanted wanted to get his kids into it so i had an older sister and we both started shooting archery at a super young age um like seven and seven and eight so we started just shooting targets and we got got involved in a uh like a youth archery program it's called joad junior olympic archery development okay and out of a little club in brighton michigan uh called livingston conservation and started shooting there and uh when i turned 10 um i had my own bow at this point we used to borrow bows at the club okay uh, they had like a you know, like a bunch of bows or whatever. So, and, uh, but we went bow hunting for the first time and I shot a, shot a little six pointer when I was 10. 
Um, and ever since then, I've shot a deer with the bow every single year. So that really got me hooked. Oh, wow. From an early, early age. So did your, was your dad shooting competitive or, or just shot a lot when you were growing up? That's why he kind of got you guys into the, the, the shooting league. Yeah. So he, he never shot competitively. You know, he was just, uh, he just loved bow hunting and, um, it, it just was kind of like one of those things that just happened. Like this youth program was very much just a for fun deal. I mean, they had fun shoots and really wasn't really wasn't even scoring. Um, but we kind of um, once we got like our own bows and stuff, we kind of excelled at it. And one of the coaches was like, hey, like you should maybe try to shoot one of these local tournaments just to, you know, see what happens. Uh-huh. And uh, we shot him and I, I think I came in second or something uh, like small time, little regional thing. Um, and then from there, we just kind of started doing state tournaments. Um, and then as I progressed, I think it was, I was 14. We went to our first, um, major like national tournament and I did pretty well. Um, so then we kind of pursued that and all throughout my high school years, we traveled all around and, um, made several like United States archery teams, uh, through the youth divisions and I traveled to like China and uh, actually continued on into college and went to Taipei for Michigan State um, so it, it took me all over the place and then in in high school also there was a NASP National Archery in the Schools program so yeah. I started doing that as well so I did them both kind of in tandem um, and NASP took me all over the place too we did went to South Africa um, my sophomore year of high school made like a international team there. So it, it really took me all around really cool. Um, really wouldn't have traveled or, or had a, had a need or a want to travel unless it was for archery. So it was really cool that it brought me out of my bubble and my shell, I guess at such a young age. That's awesome. So you did, you shot then on the Michigan state team. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. I went there for five years um, and we did, yeah, I mean, I did the whole deal with them, um, you know, up there at the Demer center and we had a really big team, um, at my, the beginning years of that. I mean, we had 20, 30 people and we would travel to, uh, nationals every year. We do States. We do, yeah, we travel all around. That was a really cool program. That's awesome. So now tell me the mindset of going into an archery tournament. I've never, never, I, for me to be honest, I've never, never watched one in person. Right. So I don't, I don't know how yeah. intense it gets. I've seen it on social media and so forth, but what's your mindset when you go into a tournament? Yeah. I mean, it really depends, you know, especially on the, on the discipline. There's, there's many different forms of it, I guess there's indoor, um, which is very, uh, I guess, slow paced and, you know, tons of repetition. I mean, you're shooting at the same target over and over again. Uh-huh. And then you have uh, more like the outdoor stuff. You have 3D and then more of like a field archery. Um, so for all of the indoor stuff, that's probably like the highest pressure and um, most mental game, you know, that you need to have because it's just the same stuff over and over again. Um, and that's definitely where like the biggest tournament is it's the Vegas shoot it's kind of become like a big novelty over the years and it's the biggest so it's the highest money you can win in archery you can walk away with like a hundred grand if you know depending on sponsors contingencies and everything so it's a big big pressure cooker and they publicize it a bunch so that is very nerve-wracking I mean when you're 
when you know that you've been practicing and doing well and you have a shot, I mean, that's mm. very, very nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's kind of like a fad going on, which is a good thing about uh, mental game and archery and everything. And I think it's becoming more in the limelight, I guess. So mm-hmm. like there's guys like Joel Turner and a bunch of other guys that are, are really focusing and, and griping on it, which is, which is great because that is what, you know, arguably is 90% of archery is, is your mental game, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to have that mental strength and make good shots and good controlled shots and, and the form and the, and the technical stuff only gets you so far. Um, and it's definitely the foundation, um, but to really make good shots and continue making good shots over a long period of time, it's all about your mental game. Yeah, once you get the once you get the fundamentals down, it's like a baseball player, right? Like he knows how to swing. It's a hundred percent now, just the mental part of it. Yeah, and you know, there's obviously like you have to be in good condition, and you gotta like make sure you get enough arrows in, and and there's tweaks. There's always tweaks. Like it's never ending. But yes, once you get foundation down, I mean, it's and and you'll see guys that um, will kind of come in and out. You know, and, and a lot of that time it's just because of their mental game. Like they're shooting so good all the time in uh-huh. practice. And, then, you know, one year they'll be super hot. And then the next two years you won't even see them. And then they'll come back super hot again. Um, and that's just the, kind of the ebb and flow of, of your mental game and, and everything. So how many different shoots do you do a year comp- on the competitive side? Yeah, so now I've kind of toned it way down. I mean, my – you know, the life and, and kind of career has definitely gone more into the YouTube media space rather yep. than just shooting competitions. But I mean, during, in college really was probably the, the most intense I've been. I mean, we would do, it felt like one or two a month. Like it was just kind of all over the place and, and you could do one every weekend. I mean, if you shot all the disciplines, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of stuff all the time, but now, I mean, I'll do, I'll do, um, you know, maybe seven, seven in a year, seven okay. major ones. Um, so it's still, I mean, between everything, I mean, between total archery challenges and then tournaments, it's just archery all the time, it feels like. Well, I, I, yeah, I could only imagine. So what's your favorite? Like you mentioned the indoor, outdoor 3D. Like what's your favorite to shoot? Man, I uh, when I'm shooting really good, I like indoor. But it can also be really frustrating when you're not shooting very mm-hmm. good. Um, but there's a lot of cool 3d stuff. I mean, there's a tournament out in Redding, California that is very like safari style. There's, it's, uh, like four yards all the way to a hundred yards and very technical. Like that stuff is really fun. I mean, you're thinking all the time and, and, uh, you're dealing with all sorts of elements. So that stuff is probably the funnest. So side question, like out of 365 days a year, how many days do you shoot your bow? Man, um, it, man, it depends. Like lately I've been shooting quite a bit. I mean, we've been doing, um, you know, obviously turkey season. I've been getting ready for that. I got this tournament. I've been shooting, getting ready for that. We've been making a lot of videos. So I've been shooting pretty much every day. Um, but there there are times where you don't shoot your bow for a week or two. I mean, during hunting season or whatever, you're just ripping. Um, but man, probably if I had to put a number on it, probably every other day, I would say is pretty safe. Okay. Okay. How many different bows do you do you have set up right now? Ooh, set up like ready to shoot. Yeah. Probably three or four. Okay. Three or four. I'm I have like I have my main tournament bow and then I kinda have one that I tinker with 
that's kind of discombobulated right now. And then I have last year's model hunting bow still set up. And then this year's hunting, hunting bow, the phase four all set up. So, okay. but they, they get, they get passed down and, and, you know, every year new ones come out yeah. and, and <laughs> they get stripped of parts and they just become sitting on the shelf. So you don't have like the, uh, the collection of bows by year that you shot going. So I always like to keep one bow per, uh, per year, I guess. Right. So I like to keep one, the main flagship. So I got, I got a couple of those, but I'll end up with, with two or three of them. So I'll end up giving them to friends or, or giving them away or whatever. Yeah. Those will be pretty cool when you look back 20 years from now and just see the bows all lined up and, and kind of string in the memories with it. Yeah. I have some of my like old target bows and I'm glad I didn't, didn't get rid of them and there's i'm still hanging on to them um because it is cool to look back at them and and especially the ones where you kind of did something cool with them yeah so i just remember the first time we met um you and and joe griffin did a did a shoot off he was shooting a rifle and you were shooting your bow at a target at 100 yards and for, for everybody that's listening chris put 10 in a pie plate at 100 yards in about 12 to 14 mile an hour wind it was probably the most amazing thing I had ever seen in my life with a bow. Like it was, it was, you were, and you were adjusting each one too. Like you'd hit the plate, but it'd be a little bit far right. And like the next one, yeah. you would know that you got to aim just a little bit more and you'd put it dead center. Like you were playing the wind on every, every single one. And again, people, this is a pie plate at a hundred yards in the wind, right? Like I, it was yeah. a giant target. You had it on. I'd been happy. Just yeah. to, I'd been happy just to hit the giant target, which was like five by five. <laughs> yeah that that was cool that that was that was a fun deal we did um i had I've, I've had that idea forever and then when we did that i was like ah we got it we got to figure out a way to do that there so that, that was really cool i'm glad we were able to do that yeah but that's one of those like in the you know hunting industry is fairly small so everybody's name gets brought up a little bit and and anytime i hear your name the question is that it like with any archery right is he really that yeah. good a shot? Have you like that? I'm like, listen, right, I've, right. I've seen the man operate in person. I'm really, he is deadly. <laughs> okay. I've never said, that's always the story I go through. Like I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Like don't question anything that dude does with a bow. Like just listen to him, follow <laughs> it, just do it. Like, cause it's one of those things you see it in person. Like you see things on video sometimes and you're like, oh, okay, that's but to see it in person. That was, that was pretty sweet. For right. Me. Oh, that's funny. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of, and all that is, is like, it's just time behind the bow, man. I mean, there's no, there's no voodoo behind it. It's just, you know, I was just out at, uh, this past week, we did a Shields University thing for Matthew. So we were talking to a bunch of the, the Shields employees and guys, and it's like, man, we can get so technical with all this stuff and, you know, like spine tuning, knock tuning, you know, all, all this crazy rabbit hole tuning stuff. But okay. like at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you shoot your bow a lot and you get used to it. And, you know, you could have an okay tune, you could have an okay setup, but the most important thing is that you can just shoot a bow good. Yep. Because if you, you could hit, you could have the knock end of the arrow eventually stick in the middle, but as long as it sticks in the middle every single time, the same way, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's you, any, any good archer can pick up any bow relatively tuned and shoot about the same you know it's it's all it's all about the archer and 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 the you know the time behind the bow yep well let's let's move over to the hunting side of it now 
um, which you yeah. seem to be in the field a, a ton. What's your what's the favorite type of hunt that you that that you get to do every year? Is it, is it whitetail? What is it? Yeah, man. You know, it's like I just love a good whitetail hunt. Um, I think my dream hunt forever every year that I try to you know have happen is like just a your target deer that you've been trying to kill mm -hmm. walking by like on November 2nd at 9 a.m. at like 20 yards like that that is just like will get me jacked up like forever um but it's fun doing like these adventure hunts and this these other hunts that um been fortunately able to do the past couple of years um but yeah i'll always i'll always come back to whitetail i mean i just i grew up doing that and i just love it so i think i think well i know a lot of people have already watched the video and i mean a ton tell us about that deer you shot in kansas yeah so that was just dumb luck man i mean it's like i know some people think like like you gotta have had like a tip or something uh -huh. like i'm like no it's like i've never hunted kansas before i was like yeah like you know maybe this area of the state's good like i didn't even go out there so i put in and drew it um and then just did some e-scouting and put some pins out and um was just gonna keep bu bumping around i mean we had a whole week allocated and we were just gonna sit I was out there with my girlfriend and we were going to sit just like separately different spots. So we could just cover as much ground as possible until we, you know, find something decent. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things sitting in the right tree at the right time. And uh, I saw him, I got in the tree at like 11 AM. I saw him at, I believe one o'clock, uh, several hundred yards away. super windy. We tried rattling at him. Couldn't not, not, nothing happened. I couldn't, he couldn't hear anything. Um, so sitting there all jacked up on adrenaline cause oh, I yeah, saw a giant, saw him, yeah. you know, for, for the next three hours and the, the wind kind of dies down, um, like it does in Kansas, like right when it gets close to dark. Um, and I thought, you know, I'll just rattle again. So I rattled and did a short little grunt sequence and it was like a minute later, um, he he pops out around the corner and then it was like, Oh wow. You know, yeah. game on at that point And the sun's just like cresting right over the hill, just shining on him. It was like, it was the coolest thing I have ever seen still to this day. Like it felt fake. Um, then man, he just walked this little cow trail, cattle trail, um, that I was envisioning, you know, like, ah, oh, that'd be cool if something walked down there and he jumped right on it and he walked, you know, from 200 yards away, right over. Um, so yeah, man, and then perfect shot and you know, that'll never ever happen again. Public land, first sit, random, you know, hundred and eighty seven inch deer is what he ended up being. So that's stupid. That is yeah. That is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's wild is uh the next year in twenty one I didn't draw. There was a thirty percent increase in uh, tags to put, uh, put in for tags yep. and a little, you know, that was COVID and overall popularity of just out of state hunting in Kansas. I mean, it's, it's becoming, you know, it's, it's that double edged sword, yep. you know, but, uh, and then this year I drew again and, and we went back out there and man, it was like night and day difference. When we were there in 2020, we saw one other hunter in like five days. And this year we saw just dozens of guys. I mean, there was every single public spot. There was a truck parked there or like a bunch of tire tracks. And it was just like, geez. So we didn't even see, we, I, I hunted for five or six days again. And I didn't even see a deer over 110 inches. Wow. So it was just, it was a totally different vibe. And, 
you know, it's, it's the, uh, it's the double-edged sword of, of promoting all of this public land stuff. And I truly believe that like, you know, it's just becoming, it's almost reversed. Like people want to go hunt public more than they want to go hunt private. Yep. It almost seems. Mm-hmm. So I and don't it, know. And I've, I've talked about this before and it, it's, I mean, it's a super touchy subject, right? But the, the amount of hunters, everybody talks about how many hunters there are in the U S so there's really no accurate number. Um, the NRA said it's somewhere between eight and 11 million, right? Cause they can track license sales, but there's some states right. that can't tell if it's a duplicate, like, right. How many States do you hunt a year? Like I usually right, right. throughout a year, I usually hunt six or seven States. So some States count me seven times. I'm in the numbers, but somewhere mm. between somewhere gotcha. between nine and 11 million hunters are what's in the U S and you go out to, to not just on public land, but even private land that, that gets leased. And you're like, how many more hunters could we actually sustain now? Right. Like you go, yeah. you go into a lot of areas like in Colorado elk hunting or something like that. How many hunters do you see? How many hunters do you see on November 15th here in Michigan? Like they're yeah. like, you want to promote the hunting to get more hunters, but it's kind of like right on that fence of how many more can sustain and, and still kind of have that quality that we, that you do right now. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And, and, you know, it's just overall population growth is, yep. is the, the biggest thing, but then you also have all of these, uh, you know, media platforms promoting it mm-hmm. and new, new people wanting to get into it. And yeah, man, I don't know. I think about it all the time. Um, you know, what's it going to look like in 20 years from now, just on, you know, let alone what the world is going to look like in 20 years right, from man. now. Um, but just the sustainability, yeah, of just hunting in general. And, you know, out here in Iowa, like I'm a transplant uh, out here um, for many reasons, but one of the reasons was for hunting. And, you know, everyone's talking about how everyone's doing the same thing, and I almost feel guilty about it, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, man, <laughs> you know, I'm taking, you know, taking advantage and moving and, and trying to trying to get better hunting. But by doing so, I'm making it worse for other people that, have been here before you know so Mm -hmm. it's like it's a double-edged sword and uh you know on on top of that it's habitat loss i mean out here farmers are trying to you know maximize their 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 farm fields and their yields and their bulldozing like i had a property um and they bulldoze like 50 acres of of, uh timber and uh just to get more ag ground and it's like man it's like all those deer just you know, mm-hmm. dispersed a little bit more. So it's, it's just a combination of everything, man. And, and, and you see the, the result of that by like South Dakota this year, just went to a draw for antelope and mule deer. And mm-hmm. South Dakota was always, always a state that if you were, you know, in Michigan, Wisconsin and wanted to go on a super easy out of state mule deer hunt. I mean, it was like, boom, South Dakota, yep. tons of public, but it's like, you know, past couple, past five years, that's been getting out more and more and more and their numbers are hurting. Yep. I mean, bad. And so they had to put that in. So it's just going to become more regulated. You know, yep. I mean, that's really the only way they're going to be able to do it. Yep. yep. Exactly. I'm a big, uh, a big bird hunter. And in North Dakota, I used to yep. go there, it would have been 15 years ago with dad and I every, every year, but it was the same thing. Right. So farmers all of a sudden didn't leave the field edge. Well, the field edge is what yep. kept all the birds. Now all of a sudden the field edge just runs into one field and it's just continuous and there's no habitat for them. And you're like, well, the numbers, numbers are down, 
but you got to produce more food because there are more people in the world. There are more houses. There's all this, yeah. all this stuff. Like just watching how it all changes is, is, I wouldn't say good, good to watch, but it's deer are one of those things that are just they can manage anything, right? Like they can live in a, a four-acre yeah. woodlot in the middle of a suburb. Yeah. Which is great, and you know that's that's the hope behind it all. But uh, yeah, things are going to be different in you know ten, even ten years, yeah, I, I yeah. think. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned the move to Iowa. When did you move from from Michigan to Iowa? When was when was the official date down? Uh, so we're coming up on three years. So this will be our third hunting season here. Um, and man, is it different? <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's good. You know, it's definitely uh, coming out here. You, learning everything and learning, uh, you know, getting your, getting your bearings and properties and all that jazz. And, you know, back, back in Michigan, you know, you know, your, your group of people and, and your hunting buddies and everything. So that's definitely been a good change, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. And you're closer. The a big thing too, is like, you're just closer out West, you know, constantly ripping out West and traveling all around. It's, it's a good place to be and good place to be centralized for all that. Hey everybody, I just wanted to drop in and remind you we got some important tag deadlines coming up. Keeping the busy month of the tag deadlines, we have Wyoming All Species on May 17th, Wyoming Deer and Antelope on May 31st. So make sure to give the team at WT a call and get applied. That is true. You're right in the, right in the center. Like our, our office is based in Sydney, Nebraska, and to hear all the consultants yeah. out there because they're like, well, we can hunt four states within an hour, right? They got Nebraska, oh, yeah. Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, like and you, I mean, you lived in Michigan for a long time. Same thing as me for me to get out West. I mean, first of all, you got to do four hours just to get around by Chicago to, before you <laughs> yeah. even, before you even start heading that direction. So yeah, no, that, that is true. So what hunts do you have planned this fall? You know, there's still a lot up in the air. I'll do, um, a lot of whitetail stuff. We're going to try to do a lot of whitetail stuff. Um, and then we have that New Mexico, um, elk hunt plan we do. through WTA. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I may have another elk thing uh, later on in September after that I'll do. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of whitetail, maybe a mule deer here too. But now it's kind of when I figure all that stuff out. Um, <laughs> seems like there's so much going on. If you plan too far ahead, it all changes. we so. got to figure out, wait for all the tag draws to go. So anybody, anybody that that, that's listening, Chris did mention, mention there's a, a sweepstakes that Matthews and WTA are doing with Chris. Um, for the winner, he actually gets to join Chris in New Mexico on this on this elk hunt, which should be pretty awesome. Um, one of the questions I got to ask you when when we pick the winner, do you want to call him, Chris? Oh yeah, we can do that for okay. sure. We Perfect. did a uh, we did a cool giveaway last year, and yeah, we called him and surprised him and everything, and that was cool. Oh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I've I've been fortunate enough to call some of the some of the sweepstakes winners. Um, and the, it was actually the first, the first one. He actually broke down and started crying just because of he had some some stuff going on in on in his life, and that was just like the first good news he had had in in a long time. So those those calls, you never know which way they're going to go, but every once in a while, you get one like that that kind of touches you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Let's go back back on the hunting train here. Some of the um, yeah. the other hunts you did, you you shot a hammer of a moose. Tell us about that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was my dream hunt. Um, I definitely have always thought about Alaskan moose as being like, man, that'd be that'd be wild to get up there one day. So mm-hmm. uh, we were able to put that together, and man, it, moose hunting really 
Well, I'll say this: we had the early season. We had the we had the first week okay. compared to the second week when they're more rutting. So I going into it, I was expecting um, a lot more action, a lot more calling, a lot more moving around. Yep. <laughs> and uh, after about the second day, when we were sitting on a glassing knob for the second day all all day, and you I was moved, like, man, moved in about an eight foot circle is your big move for the day. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm like, man, this is a little bit different than I was thinking it was going to be. Um, but geez, what an adventure. I mean, flying up there and being so remote. And once we landed, um, we had to go for like a four hour, they had these six wheelers. We had to go like a four, a four hour drive. We were crossing streams and going all over the place. And that was wild. I mean, we got way back there. Um, and then just being so remote, I mean, I just, I just loved that part of it. Um, and, and, you know, we did not see a ton of moose, and that's mainly because of the of the early season and, and where we were at. I guess they're like, you know, there's big bulls, but there's just not a lot of of moose in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't see a legal bull until day seven. Um, so we were, I, I was really sweating it. I I didn't know, you know, I was like, man, this might not happen, mm-hmm. you know, which was which was always that thought running through your mind, but. Um, yeah, day eight, it was, it started, the weather was starting to turn, you know, a little bit colder, uh, could tell fall was rolling in and and I think the moose just could tell. So it was like, they all came out of the woodwork that morning. Um, and we saw, we saw the one ended up killing, um, way down in the bottom and, and it's all spot and stock. Like we can't really call or anything yet, you know, cause it's just so early. Mm -hmm. So stuck in on him and and shot him at like 30 yards he was distracted by a younger bull they were kind of raking and just kind of doing some pre-rut stuff um shot him and the shot was a little high um ended up being double lung and fine but we were really cautious and waited waited a long time but man when we got up to him it was it was cool it was a lot of emotion and uh and gosh they're big man i didn't realize (laughs) i didn't realize how big they were you know you've you're always told that but it's like until you see it laying there, it's like, gosh, that's ginormous. So, until, but yeah, it was a dream come dream come true, man. Until you realize how much work you have to do when you when you walk up on it and realize you got packed. Oh that thing yeah. Out. <laughs> well, hey, luckily, luckily we were able to drive right to him, and he's oh. like, man, that does not that does not happen all the time. We could have been screwed big time, but we. We actually off the main, uh, you know, drag that we were working on, and we we didn't kill him too far off of that, so it was all dry, and we were able to get the get the wheelers right to him. He's like, "All right, it's all downhill from here. If you ever do this again, you're gonna get the complete opposite treatment." Oh, awesome. <laughs> I'm sure of it. So yeah, no, that was good. Saved our backs for sure. But I think it took like five or six hours, and we had uh, four or five guys. Like all, all doing something all the time. Yep. You know, it was nuts. Just caping and cutting the uh, mooses. We, my, my dad, my brother-in-law and I, we, we did way early in my hunting career, a do-it-yourself moose hunt in Alaska to where they drop, they get a transporter, they drop you off. They basically give you your tent and food for, I think, 10 days. And we shot, okay. my brother-in-law shot a moose and it was like, okay, super stoked. And now all of a sudden the whole next day, all we did was we butchered, hiked and hauled it to the meat pole by our kid that's all we did yeah the day after that we didn't leave the tent right the next day i went and shot my moose and then we did the same thing and then we after that day we're like dad we're done we can't do this a third time you can't like you're we're not letting you go out we're literally after (laughs) doing two moose that's it we can't do a third it's too much yeah yeah 
but no, that's awesome. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of those things about you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with that moose hunting is everybody expects it to be so action packed and really what it is, it's like 99% boredom and 1% ecstasy, right? You just sit yes. there glass yeah. and same thing for, um, like brown bears or grizzly bears, right? Like you go on one of those, hunts, yeah. it's, you just sit 99% of the time in miserable weather and just wait for that one chance that you get to see it. And then it's go time for like an hour and then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. I mean, that's the grind. And I think it makes it so much more rewarding when it happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like anything you grinding out during the rut and whitetail season. And it was one walks by and it's done in 30 seconds, you know, but yeah, yeah man, I, I, I thought it was going to be some more hiking and calling and ripping around. And here I am just sitting. <laughs> so, but it was good. Yeah. No, that's all part of it. And there's something, something special about Alaska, right? Like even just flying into Anchorage, the oh, yeah. remoteness of it. And man, I, I'm set to go on a caribou hunt there and I'm, I'm working on my flights actually later today to get into Fairbanks. And it's one of those things, every time I land in Alaska, it just reminds you of just how special the place is. Yeah. And you talk, you talk yeah, about I, transplants and hunting. I actually know quite a few people that have moved to Alaska for the hunting. Oh yeah. Right. Cause then it's, mm-hmm. you don't get, you don't get the whitetail, but Literally, once you become a resident in Alaska, you've got deer, caribou, sheep, mountain goats, bears. Like, you can get in for the muskox draw, like bison draw. Like, there's yeah. all this stuff up there. This is an awesome state. Yeah, no, it really is. I think if they had whitetails up there, I'd move up there. <laughs> so that that Kansas deer was your biggest deer. What's your what's your second biggest deer, and where was it from? Um, I've shot two deer now in Iowa that were kind of mid mid one sixties deer. Okay. Um, so and then and then obviously go down from there but yeah i mean can't that kansas buck is just like my big buck kicker like it was All just right. it was just dumb luck man and listen a free range 187 inch whitetail there's just not very many deer like that that get shot every year all across the u.s so like i mean it's, it's going to take yeah. a long time to beat that one but you i don't know. think i yeah i mean honestly i don't think i ever will i mean that was just a one of one and, and to make it even more of a one of one, um, when I shot it and, you know, posted the video and everything, I had this, uh, this guy in the area reach out. He's like, Hey, I know that deer. I'm pretty sure I have the sheds from him. And I was like, no way. And he sent me a photo and sure enough, he's got the same flyers, you know, the same mass and palmation and everything. And, uh, it was actually from two years prior and he scored more. The, so he the was on the downward. Prior. He was down. Yes. Yes. Did, did you so have him he, aged? How, uh, how old was that deer? I didn't have him aged. Um, but if I had a guess, man, I mean, he was probably seven or eight. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was so, so much, many scars on his body. So worn down at that point of the rut and just big old gray forehead. I mean, it was just everything a, a old deer was. Uh, his eye was all pussed up and stuff. So. I, if I had to guess, he was seven or eight. Yeah, it was wild. That's awesome. Like just the the stories that that deer had lived through. And it's cool that guy that guy reached out. Um, Very cool. After. Yeah, he probably didn't yeah. tell you that he'd only been hunting them for four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I actually, uh, when we went back up there, I met up with them, and and we stay in contact now. But he uh, he was kind of a ghost. Like uh, people would people would kind of pinpoint him in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as rut came around, he was just a roamer. I mean, I think he found his sheds three miles from where I ended up killing him. 
and he was just kind of all over the place. Like his summer and his winter ranges were far away, and then fall was just kind of hit or miss. So, I mean, that, that makes it just more of a, like a wild thing. I mean, it was literally right place, right time. He was probably in that ditch for one day mm-hmm. the entire year. And I just happened to be right there. No, well, that's hunting though. A lot of luck involved. Yeah. So you're, yeah, where are you hunting Iowa now is, do you have it like, are they, they long-term leases, something that you get to, I mean, just set up on and know where you're going to hunt. So you get a little inventory on the deer in the area. Yeah, I have, I kind of have one that I operate out of, um, and man, is it competitive, you know, it's just like, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. And like, we're talking about it's the demands going up and up and up. So it's, it's tough. You know, I have a couple of permission things, um, and, and soon I, I really would like to buy something. Um, and that, and that's in the plans and long-term plan for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good though. And, and, and that's, what's awesome about any unpressured area. Um, doesn't matter where you are, but just watching deer year after year. I mean, we have two years under our belt on this one place and, and being able to watch the deer grow from year to year and kind of manage and pass the deer and everything. I mean, it's, it's cool. And that's, that's really why I love whitetail hunting too. It's just the history of it and, and the connection and, and when it all comes together, it's pretty sweet. Yep. So let's dig into the, the filming side now. So is there yeah. any time that you're now moving forward that you're in the in the field self-filming or do you always have a guy with you now? Um, you know, I'll do a little bit of self-filming for some whitetail stuff. Um, I think I did I think I did two hunts last year where I just self-filmed. Uh-huh. And uh but yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of where my roots were. I mean, obviously I was I think I was 15 14 or 15 when i self-filmed like my first bow kill Mm -hmm. and then since then i mean i went a long time um where i every single animal i killed was on film i think it was like 30 some animals and between self-filming or buddies filming Mm -hmm. or whatever um and and i was just talking to someone else about this the other day it's like man you know, I kind of built the foundation of the channel and everything and my creativity of just doing it myself. And now like the past couple of years, really trying to, you know, diversify and grow. And, you know, now we got like full-time guys and, mm-hmm. and the whole camera, camera guy and editor deal. It's like, man, I don't do anything anymore, <laughs> you know, which is, which is good and bad. Cause I, I really, uh, enjoyed and, and, and liked the grind of self-filming and editing and everything. Um, but it's also good. I mean, the quality is way up from what it was and, and, and the enjoyment. And, and I also like that I don't have to worry about it in the moment. You know, I can just focus on, on trying to shoot the animal and, yep. and not worry about anything. But As I prepare for all my upcoming archery hunts, I always get dialed in on life-size Delta McKenzie 3D targets. Being able to visualize the vitals for me in practice is key that lends to success in the field. If you're looking for any type of archery target, go to dmtargets.com and use promo code MP10 for an additional 10% off the best price. Again, that's MP10 at dmtargets.com. When I pick my bow up for a hunt, no matter what hunt that may be, it's always full of Easton arrows. Currently, I'm shooting their Sonic 6mm arrows with a 125 grain sever 2.0 titanium broadhead. Find Easton arrows at a dealer near you or learn more at eastonarchery.com. 
Everyone knows Matthews is the leader in archery innovations, and I'm proud to be part of their team. Little did they know I've been part of their team ever since I started pulling a bow back when I was 12. I personally shoot their new Matthews V3X and love it. So go visit MatthewsInc.com and pick out your next bow. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. The self-filming deer hunts is harder than what it seems like too. I've, I've started oh, yeah. to do a, a little mini series at my house here called homegrown to where I self film everything. Right. Like it was back. I kind of nice. used this back, back to my roots. Like before I started yeah. doing international travel and all the stuff, having field producers, I always hunted in, in my backyard here in Michigan. So I went back and, and still doing the same thing here. Dude, the, the self filming though, is like a different level of man. Just, you're not just worried about targeting on the deer now it's is the camera right do i got the gopro on me it's like yeah getting set for the deer <laughs> shots actually like the third or fourth thing that you're worried about but when it all comes true yeah. it's like holy smokes i just did it not only did i get a deer but i also got it all on film yeah no it's super it's super rewarding and i like to think of it as you have to shoot the deer twice yep exactly you know <laughs> yep exactly uh, so yeah it's it's tough the one thing I, especially in this in this question i mean super fits with you but one of the things i like to do when i get people from the industry here um is cover this question and it's one that we get a lot not just through the podcast but through the tv shows and online and and you probably i bet you get this probably a hundred times a week like people ask you what is the best way to get in the outdoor industry like what what is something that i could do to get in there right like i've got i literally have, yeah. i'm looking at my emails on my computer right now i've got three through my website and they're all asking basically the same the same thing how do i get into the the outdoor industry this is my background this is what i've done what would you recommend so when you get that broad yeah. question from people like what do you what do you tell them you know i i started from ground zero like i didn't have a you know, an uncle in the space or, you know, you know, anything like that. I mean, it was very much, um, posting something on YouTube and just going through the grind until eventually you get enough traction to where you could do something. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of today compared to 10, 15 years ago when the barrier, the barrier of entry was so high like there was almost a pay to play yep. um you needed to know someone or you needed something to happen or you needed to you know pay for airtime or whatever but now i mean you can be so self-made i mean and this is across any sector mm -hmm. that you could get in now um but you could create your own deal and, and film and hunts with your buddies and and just making good stuff. And the number one thing that I always tell people is like, you can't, you can't go in about it expecting or wanting to be someone or be something out of it because you'll, it, it'll never end up that way. Yep. Um, you really have to do, you know, if you're, if you're pursuing this, um, like the media side of things, especially if you're trying to 
trying to fake it before you make it, I guess, sort of thing. It's just never going to work. Like you got to have fun. You got to enjoy it. And because it is a grind, you know, I have a, um, a lot of, you know, younger buddies, I guess, that are really trying to, to get it going. And I'm like, guys, like there's no special, there's no special potion. Mm-hmm. Like you have to learn how to edit. You got to learn how to film and you just got to pump out tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, eventually, eventually it's just, it's just going to catch traction. And it's going to go. Um, but you got to be in it for the long haul. And I think that's the easiest way to get into the space in the industry um, is by that through social media and everything, because it is such a easy start, no barrier of entry per se. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many, we could, there's so many things in there. And, and I think, um, relationships are just huge too. If you're ever in a position where you make a relationship and, and start, you know, uh, and, and a face to the name sort of deal, if you're at a trade show or if you're at a total archery challenge or if you're wherever and, and, that's huge this whole space is so small and everyone knows everyone and and once you know one guy you know another guy you know another guy and then it's just a domino effect um but yeah i mean there's there's not one thing specific to the outdoor space either too i feel like i feel like it's any sector everything applies it's just this space is really small Mm -hmm. (laughs) so sometimes it takes it takes time and then it takes off i guess when it when everything works and it's one of those things too. And I, I kind of heard you say you got to be yourself through the whole thing. Don't look at what, don't look yeah. at what somebody else has done to to create their brand and go. I'm going to rinse and repeat that because it, it's unsustainable for for a long period of time, right? You just gotta, yeah, and it's it's gotta, ungenuine. Yeah, exactly. And it, it shows on camera. Like it shows mm-hmm. on camera when you sit there, you may not see it, but over the course of time of watching videos, it shows that that that's not you. And then eventually the, the true personality comes out and some people have a great, like in today's world, people get locked on to, to big and crazy or just kind of subtle or whatever that is. Like there are all these different things that you can, you can shine on. And with hunting, it's one of those things. If you're in the field, and you're doing it, and then all of a sudden you get one big deer or your elk hunt, and you get a crazy elk encounter that, that works out or any of these things can all of a sudden yeah. just blow it up if the camera's rolling, right? Because then all of a sudden yeah. that's the one that blew it up, but then everybody's like, oh, man, this guy's been putting out content for two years or whatever, and it's like, oh, yeah. man, this is pretty pretty good stuff. Like, it, yeah. And that's kind of like you're, you grew rap. Like I look at, at people, you grew rapid in the space. Like if you look back at it now and it, it's one of those things, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to correct my last statement, right? I say you grew rapid in the space, but at the beginning of this, we were talking about you shooting your bow at seven years old, right? So that's where yeah. I go back. I was, you, you didn't grow rapid. You've been doing it for a long time. So there's a lot of work that came in to, to do that. Yeah. And I think what I've had a couple guys ask me, it's like, man, you know, like, when do you think stuff's going to take off? And I'm like, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it takes, it takes 10 years of dedication to where, to at least I think it's sustainable and you can actually have a business around it and be stable. Um, because I look at, I've been doing YouTube for 10 years now. Um, and you know, obviously my first few years were just goofing off and having fun um, and just kind of doing whatever. And I didn't have a mindset of that, but it's been, it's been the, the repetition and the grind of doing it for 10 years to where it's, it's, it's finally been something. Um, and people just want, you know, the, the quick, the quick fame. I mean, I know people that have 
bot accounts and bot YouTube channels and just try to quick start them. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that'll work, but it's just not sustainable in my eyes. And good, good linear growth in anything is the best growth, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had that. I mean, if we look at my numbers, it's 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 been very linear, which is surprising. Like you just said, it's been you know, it seems like it just caught on fire the past couple of years and it has, but it's, it's just still linear. You know, we haven't had like a spike or an exponential growth. It's, it's been very consistent. And I think that's so important, um, in anything, you know, to be able to adapt and grow when, when you got growing pains, I, I, I guess, but especially in this space, I feel like that's just so important. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's when did it, like, when did the channel click? Like if you look back now is like, man, this was, this was what we did or what, what was the moment that you're like, man, we're just, we're just growing steady every single day. Yeah, probably, um, probably four years ago. So let's see, that would have been, I, I think the last year I was with Hoyt, that was about four years ago. The channel was finally to a point where we were getting con- consistent, like 10 to 20,000 views per video. So we were, we were starting to create that community and the community is the most important thing Uh where, you know, I, I like to think of the community. Like if you posted a video tomorrow, that was terrible. Like no one wanted to watch it, but still your hardcore fan community watched it. Uh Whatever, whatever that number is of your lowest video in the last month, that's your community. Everything else is, is your semi-regular viewers or a video kind of goes on a tangent and goes viral or whatever. Like, the the higher your lowest number grows the the more foundation you have mm-hmm. um so we we really noticed that um probably four years ago and you know that's when that's when i like first paid someone to like help video um and to help edit um he actually still does stuff for me today his name's mitchell um you know we went on this this big trip multi-state trip and just got a ton of content and uh it did good and then from there it's just creating a system um and creating a rhythm of content and being genuine and not trying to not trying too hard you know and finding your niche like every like you said you can't just copy someone what they got going on i mean and that that's what like consumers and viewers aren't dumb like they want to see something different they want to uh, be entertained, be educated or inspired. And, you know, doing your own deal is, is what people want to see. So, um, you know, I'm very excited. There's a couple channels that I've been watching that are kind of like, you know, like, all right, like these guys are doing good. Like they're, they're rocking and rolling because, you know, back to that double-edged sword, it's like promoting hunting, but you know, you, you have to promote it to put it in a good positive light. And, uh, constantly you know the new guys constantly have to be coming up i mean that's just part of part of the growth cycle i suppose yep yep on your channel what's the i mean you probably got the demographics like what's the average age of people and you do so much educational stuff with a bow that i think is is awesome right because a lot of people are 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 scared to ask the question or go into a go into the local bow shop and ask a question of why this because uh, uh, there's just that intimidation factor, right? But there's no there's yeah. no other way to learn it, right? If you come from a family that hasn't hunted and you try to pick up archery, like you gotta go ask somebody. I think your videos do a great job of helping shoot, helping tone, like all these things that are great for for not just new archers but archers in general. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, demographic wise, our number one is 25 to 35 and then number two is like 18 to 25. Um, which is surprising. A lot of people, um, especially like last year and the year before they were like, man, like, you know, you really connect with the, the next generation, the, the, you know, 15 to 18 year olds, which is true. Like, I think, I think that is true, but man, it's still the, the bulk of, of guys and, and, and viewers are in that 25 to 35. Um, which is cool. I mean, that's, that's, that is the next gen still. It is hundred um, percent the next gen. Yeah. So. Cool. What are last question for you? What are some of the questions that yeah. you get on your social media? Oh, is, it, is, it, is it, is it, is it mainly archery related or, and I not, not with the crazies, like everybody's got the crazy of you posted a hundred right, video right. And, and you killed the last year, like not that one, but what like, what are some of the genuine questions that you get a lot of the time is it on archery setups is it what is it on yeah i get a lot of archery questions you know technical stuff kind of one-on-one stuff um and a lot of hunting stuff but yeah it's definitely very archery heavy um which is which is i i don't do a good job at that it's been it's been kind of crazy lately obviously with like stuff blowing up uh-huh. and you get like you get like 50 some dms a day and it's just like oh gosh like i can't i'm sorry guys i just can't and and then stuff like this or podcasts or videos or whatever we try to answer the bulk majority of them um but yeah lots of archery stuff i mean it's it's so technical you know people are like you know what spine arrow on this and this and that and that and um so i could spend that's a that's another full-time job because then then you get into a conversation with them and then you know you know how that works oh yeah and then it keeps going and they've asked yeah now you're asking questions from way back it's just it's just impossible it's a time management wise is impossible and that's mm-hmm. what's so tough and it's because it's like if you have a viewer or a fan that tries to message you and stuff and you don't respond and they're like man he doesn't care like or whatever it's like man we just don't got enough time you know yeah. we gotta hire someone else so just deal with messages yep Yep. And you, but here's the thing you like, you want to be the one answering the messages, right? Like that's on, on my, that's, on my yeah. stuff. Like I want to be the one that answers the, the message, right? Like they took the time, but at the same, the same token is, and you can't respond to 300 in a day. It's just not realistic. 100%, yeah. yeah. No. Well, perfect, man. Thanks for your time today. I know you gotta, you're going to hit the road, so I won't keep you much longer. Yeah. Right on. It was good talking, good catching up. And uh, we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up this fall. That we do. That we do. Again, re- reminder for everybody listening, make sure to check out the WTA sweepstake with Chris B. and Matthews. I, I think I forget forgot to mention, it's not just the elk hunt. Matthews is also kicking in a bow, um, and you'll be in the field with Chris himself. So make sure to check that one out, get entered. Going to have a good time. I've heard there's, the moisture out west has been good this year, and we all know that means there are going to be some big elk. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.